Zebedee had a lot on his mind. As he readied the boat for a night of fishing, like his father before him and his father before him, Zebedee still found it hard to grasp that his sons had run off, chased after a carpenter from Nazareth. What good could possibly come out of Nazareth? Rumors in town were that this carpenter was born out of wedlock. The boys had been by earlier in the day, and Zebedee was glad to see them. He was hoping the boys had come to their senses, and they were returning to work. Instead, they were inviting their father to a gathering of Jesus' disciples on one of the nearby hillsides later that day. Zebedee wasn't so sure about this disciple thing. Look what it had already cost him with his two sons. But he said he'd think about it. The gentle waves of the sea lapped against the side of his boat and the the sound of a gliding seagull met his ears. The middle-aged man, tanned by years of hard outdoor labor, turned and saw folks from the village making their way up the hillside. With a sigh of resignation, Zebedee decided to follow the crowd and see this man who so enchanted his young sons. It was like a crowd on its way to celebrate a great wedding feast. Excitement filled the air. But Zebedee, he wasn't so excited. He just wanted answers. He wanted to know what was so attractive about this Jesus character that his sons would neglect their family and their work and run off and follow him. With his beloved sea to his back, he gathered with the crowd. And then from somewhere in the crowd, he emerged. Some gave up shouts of excitement and and some clapped. But many sat down to hear what this young man from Nazareth had to say. Jesus wasted no time. He sat down and he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? 
It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill, it cannot be hidden. And neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has anything against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you, That anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. And throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, 
but fulfill the Lord to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot even make one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are, you, are, are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, <laughs> therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they like, love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people their sin against you, 
your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet their heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and is thrown in the furnace of fire tomorrow, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness And all these things will be added to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Hopefully, Zebedee heard these words. Hopefully, Zebedee was moved to action with these words. Hopefully, Zebedee responded like the crowd when they heard these words. In fact, these words have been some of the most discussed words in all of human history. These words, I did a quick search in my Bible software, and there are more 
books dedicated to Matthew 5 through 7 than nearly any other part of the scriptures, even the tantalizing book of Revelation. These words, for millennia, the church has pondered what they mean, how to live these words, how to apply these words, what to do with these words. And not just the church, perhaps in your interactions with people outside of church, they have repeated to you some of the words that Jesus said in this passage. We didn't read chapter 7. We will after a bit. But these are famous words that sometimes are parroted back to the church. Do not judge or you too will be judged. I've heard those words from folks outside the church because I'm just so doggone judgmental all the time. These words, I was wrestling with how to preach about these words, especially in a short eight-week series. You could spend, in fact, Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great expositor in London, he has a book this thick, soft cover, small print, of several years of preaching on the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I wanted to just hit on it. I wanted to hit it in one sermon. I want to just hit it with what's going on here because sometimes we miss the forest for the trees. It's easy for us to get into, now, what does it mean to be poor? (laughs) What does it mean that Jesus says this? And in fact, did you hear how short his sermon is compared to mine? There are so many times that what the scriptures say versus the explanation. The scriptures are so clear and short and the explanation is so long and convoluted. Don't nod your head, Josh. That makes my feelings hurt. (laughs) So I wanted you to hear Jesus' words. They're very clear, aren't they? If anything, in our explanation, what we try to do is we try to, we're like a worm that's about to be tossed into the pond on the end of that hook, and we know what's coming, and we're trying to wiggle off of the hook. If anything, when we read these and we try to come up with explanation, we, come, we try to go, nah, Jesus didn't really mean that if I'm angry with somebody, Jesus really didn't mean that if I lust, that this is, he didn't really mean this about divorce. We want to get ourselves and others we care about off the hook. Now, I want us to wrestle with a couple of things today, not with any particulars of the sermon save this. We're only going to look at Matthew 5, 1 and 2, and then we're going to look at the very end of the sermon, Matthew 7, 28 and 29, because I want to build a point When you hear those words read to you like that, what did you hear? I hear authority. Do you remember the motifs, the notes, the melodies running through Matthew? One of them was authority. It was one that was going to keep coming up. This is one of those times. 
And what Matthew, I think, is trying to do and highlight above all things in this teaching of Jesus is to demonstrate his authority. Now, I want to build this case by first looking at Matthew 5, 1 through 2, and then we're going to look at Matthew 7, 28, 29, and this will be brief. There's a couple things there that I think are pointing to this is really what's going on in this passage. First off, Jesus walks up on top of a mountain. Now, the mountains around the Sea of Galilee aren't like mountains in Colorado, okay? So you first have to think of that. In fact, I have a little picture for you guys. If you guys could show the picture of the Sea of Galilee. This is actually from uh, what's called nowadays Mount of Beatitudes. This is a place that has been uh, thought of as possibly the place where Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, the words you just heard. This is perhaps the place. Luke records a sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Plain. It's most likely the same sermon. Why would Matthew say it's a mount and Luke say it's a plain? Well, that looks like a plain, maybe up on a mount looking over a sea, right? In fact, the Byzantines built a chapel at the foot of this, uh, but later the Catholics built a chapel and the Catholics built it on top of the hill. And years ago, the Pope went to that chapel. And they made preparations to receive a crowd of 10,000 people in that area. It rained. Not that many made it. But it was easily able to hold 10,000 people and more. Jesus went up on a mountainside, according to Matthew. Who else went up on a mountain in the scriptures? See, I think, Mo, I think Matthew wants us to think of somebody else, and that's Moses. I think Matthew wants us to think about another deliverer of Israel, and that's Moses. Moses went up on Mount Sinai, and he received the law from God. The people come up the mount and hear Jesus on the mount give interpretation, and beyond that, new law. New commands. The amount of imperatives in this chap in this chap these three chapters is mind numbing. The amount of times Jesus tells you do this, don't do that. I mean, it's like a full on parenting session, right? Have you ever had those with your kids? You pull the child aside. You say like you're about to go to coffee with the president, you know. And for some of you. That's nerve-wracking for you, let alone taking your children there. But let's just pretend, and you're going to coffee with the president, and you're busy telling your kid, okay, do this, don't do that. If you do that, I'll probably hurt you. Don't do that, you know. And I don't care if the Secret Service is there. I will make sure you die in the presence. You know, I mean, we have those kind of conversations with our kids where we give them imperatives. We want to make sure they know we're serious. And it's imperative, it's imperative, it's imperative, it's imperative. It's not about how they feel, right? Now, Jesus did care about how we felt. He talked about us worrying. And there were some feeling statements in there. Don't worry. Imperative, though. Jesus is, is giving us commands throughout this passage. Another thing in Matthew uh, 5, 1 and 2, if we look at those words that I, I didn't read from the, the scriptures. It says that when the crowd had assembled, he sat down and began to teach. 
Now, who sits when they're teaching? Well, in our culture, it's not common. It felt a little weird even sitting for me. But you think about royalty. When you go into the presence of royalty, do they stand when you come in the room? Or do they remain seated? Kings remain seated. The Pope in the Catholic Church, when the Pope wants to speak with authority, like God gave me this to tell you, it's called ex cathedra, which is Latin, which means from the chair. And the Pope, when he speaks ex cathedra, he is speaking with the authority in the manner that Jesus sat and spoke. That's what's going on in their minds. When you think about it, even rabbis in Jesus' day would sit and speak when they talked about the scriptures. So sitting is a sign that Jesus is also taking authority. But there's other things in the passage that make me see this as a, 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 an entire proclamation of his authority. Like, for instance, when he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. You know, I have come to fulfill them. Really? Wow. What a bold statement. Who makes that kind of statement? What kind of authority do you need to to make that kind of a statement? Or when he says, blessed are the poor, for they shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. Ask this question of that beatitude, because usually when we hear beatitudes, we don't really ask questions. We just go into this stupor, because we've heard these since we were children, and we're like, yeah, 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 okay, tell me when it's over. I've heard the beatitudes a billion times. Have you ever asked a question about the beatitudes? Like, who says? Who says? I've never seen the meek inherit the earth. I've never seen a A peacemaker be called a child of God. I've never seen the hungry and thirsty be fed. Who says? I mean, just the Beatitudes. Jesus is claiming authority left and right with those comments. Blessed are these people. They're the ones that go to heaven. (laughs) I mean, by what authority do you decide who's in heaven or who's not in heaven and how that happens? And then he has this where he says, blessed are you when you are persecuted by people on my account. I mean, what an egotistical statement. By the way, I would never say as your pastor, blessed are you when people will make fun of you because of me, (laughs) right? I'd be like, maybe it's time to find another church for you (laughs) if they're really giving you a hard time about me. Or maybe it's time to find a new pastor, right? It's like, Again, says who, Jesus? On your account? You, Jesus, know and determine what kind of faithful perseverance will be rewarded in the afterlife? I mean, the audacious claims here. And we just glaze over when we hear these words sometimes. I believe the entire thing, though, is about Christ's authority. His words are either arrogant or they're authoritative. In fact, listen to this offending ending of application. It's something they try to teach pastors like me in school to do at the end of sermons. 
to wrap it up and have a nice application so people can leave and have something to hang their hat on. Listen to Jesus' closing words from this sermon. They're far from politically correct. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came and the, storm, and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Thanks for coming. Have a nice day. Aren't you wanting Jesus to end with like a, an invitation, a warm and fuzzy invitation? Aren't you wanting him to end different than that? This is where I also think the passage, the message is about authority. Because listen to what it says at verse 28. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds, and perhaps Zebedee if he was there, were amazed at his teaching. Because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Matthew wants us to make sure that we see that Jesus is teaching with authority. His words are either arrogant or they are authoritative. Did you hear them? He is saying to you, to me, I am the great judge of history. All will come before me someday. And some will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do these things? And he says, I never knew you. He is making a claim that our eternal destiny is based upon our relationship with him or our lack of relationship with him. He is making a claim that our eternal destiny has to do with whether we listen to his words and put him into action or whether we listen to his words and do nothing. Says who? Jesus, that's who. You see, at the end of this matter, at the end of the day, you have to make a decision, and this is my application. You have to decide who Jesus is. You have to decide if he is this authority he claims to be. And what is that authority he claims to be? Matthew started out his gospel by saying, his name shall be Emmanuel, God with us. 
You have to decide, is this true of him? Is he God with us? Well, that's not very politically correct. That's not very nice of Jesus to say. Elsewhere in this passage, he talks about coming to follow him and it's only through himself that people gain access to heaven. And somebody might say, well, I think all religions are the same. Or I think each religion has some of the truth, but not all of it. Or I think everyone is going to heaven. Have you ever thought of asking them this? Says who? You? Who made you authority? Or when I was a kid, did God die and you, he made you God? You know, who made you God? You see, that is an arrogant statement as well, to claim that you know something. It is either an arrogant statement by somebody to say, all religions are the same, or it is an authoritative statement to say, all religions are the same. It is one or the other. It sounds humble. It sounds like it's tolerant. But it is an authoritative, claiming to be an authoritative statement. And I would suggest to you it comes from the father of lies, the evil one. All religions are the same. Everyone goes to heaven. Sounds nice, sounds tolerant, sounds politically correct. But at the end of the day, I think we can all ask, says who? On what authority do you make these claims? If they come back and they say, Dr. Oz, or Dr. Phil, or Oprah, are those the authorities we want in our lives? So here's my application for us. You have to ask yourself and you have to answer the question, who is Jesus? You have to decide if Jesus is who he said he is and if he has the authority that he is claiming to have. And if you decide that both of those are true, then what does that mean for you and I? What implications does that have for your life? You see, I think we have three choices. One is this. I can believe you or someone just like you, another mere human being is right, has authority. Or I can believe myself and whatever I want to think and claim about such matters and make myself the ultimate authority. Or I can believe Jesus and what he said. I think those are our three options. You can believe others, you can believe yourself, or you can believe Christ. Those are the three options available to us. You see, and this is at the crux of the matter. It's a matter of authority. Who is your Lord? Is it yourself? Are you in charge of you? You're the only one that has the right to tell you what you're going to do with your gifts, your talents, your money, your abilities, your time. 
Only you. You're the only one that has right to tell you what to do. If you believe that, then your Lord is you. Or is your Lord society? Well, what will my mother think? Well, what will others think? Well, what will my friends think? They'll think I'm this. They'll think I'm that. If you are concerned with how others think about you, then your Lord is society. If you think, well, then I can't do what I want to do, and you want to be ruled by your freedom of choice, you're still looking at yourself as Lord. But if you are able to pray like Jesus prayed, not my will, but yours be done, God, I just received this windfall of money. What should I do with it? Father, I just received this promotion at work and it comes with a pay raise. What should I do with it? God, I wish I was like those people getting those pay raises and windfalls. And I never have enough to meet the end of the month. What should I do? I just have this opportunity these abilities, these gifts you've given me, what should I do with them? You see, ultimately, and I love this quote from Douglas O'Donnell, it's a matter of authority and then of allegiance. It's a matter of authority and then of allegiance. I want it to be crystal clear in everyone's mind when you walk out those doors today. Who are you allegiant to? If you leave here and you're fuzzy on that, you're not thinking hard. You're not thinking clear. And I believe that there is an evil entity who clouds the minds of people. But at the core of it, you have to answer the question, who is authority and am I allegiant to that authority? And have I answered that question for myself? So, may you sort that out. May you figure that out between you and Christ. May you understand that his authority and your allegiance is one of the core issues, if not the core issue, of life on this planet. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for these words. They are powerful as they're read. Jesus himself said that Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words will never pass away. A prophecy given to us by Christ himself, and it's come true. If he knew that about his own words, if he knew that about himself, then can't we trust him with what he says about how sinners are saved? Lord, I pray that we would. I pray that we would trust him. That we would bend the knee to him and ultimately that we would obey in allegiance to him. Holy Spirit, make it so. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. 
May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May you know that Christ is king, that he is authoritative, and he demands your allegiance. Amen.